Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Let me pray as we begin. Um, Our Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for this uh, slice of fellowship that I've been able to enjoy with my uh, brothers and sisters here. Lord, I thank you for their love for Jesus, uh, for our partnership in the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you would deal kindly with us this evening. We pray that you would use this time to speak to our hearts, and that as we open this letter, uh, that we would know nothing less than the very mind of Christ abounding with us, within us and among us. And so, Lord, we, we want to offer you this time now uh, that we might grow up in Christ even just a little bit tonight. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for having me here today for your welcome. It's a joy to worship, and I wonder if it's too late to wish you a happy new year. Um, I wonder how you're getting into and how, you're, how you are going into this new year. I don't want to make assumptions, but I suspect I'm not the only person here who feels a little bit, here we go again especially having lived through the strange time zones of the last two years and and that kind of, you remember that before pandemic time where we used to just mark off years and months relatively normally and everything just feels stretched or strange. And so um, as we go into 2022, I I personally feel a bit like I'm kind of drawing a deep breath at the moment, more of the same, ready to go through the motions, at least until maybe it starts to warm up a bit. I heard someone this morning telling March to hurry up um, and I wonder if this, this kind of here we go again, New Year, deep breath, let's go through the motions, can be true in our life together in Christ as well, particularly in churches post-Christmas. Christmas is very exciting, but, and even at the best of times, you don't always get that much bang for your buck. So just like a family Christmas, church Christmas can sometimes be filled with expectation but, but in reality, be quite high sugar, low protein. Um, and so I wonder if you this evening are feeling a bit, here we go again. And if you are, then I think this letter is just the thing for you. Receiving a friendly letter is a rare delight. It tells you that somebody has taken the time, Uh, has thought of you, has made the effort to write, and has has given you something that isn't necessarily convenient. Now, emails can be lovely, but as a general rule, the longer an email, the more nervous I get. Um, So what would be the most encouraging letter that you could receive this new year? What would put your, here we go again, this January, let's have a deep breath, into a fresh and joyful perspective. 
of Philippians is probably the most joyful and friendly letter in the whole of the New Testament. It overflows with encouragement and hope. So before we jump in, let's uh, get our bearings. Uh, Paul is writing to a church in a place called Philippi, which is a Roman uh, colony in Macedonia. It's where Alexander the Great was from. It's culturally Greek, but there were many ex-Roman soldiers living in Philippi uh, who upon retirement, you, you do your 25 years in the, um, in the Roman army, and you get a patch of tax-free soil somewhere, and there wasn't enough space to give it to them in Rome, so they picked places over the empire. And so Philippi had a lot of very patriotic, very tough Romans um, who were fiercely loyal in worshipping the emperor. And uh, some of the titles they gave to the emperor was Kyrios, it means Lord, and Sota, which means Saviour. And so about 10 years or so before writing this letter, Paul and his companions had gone to Philippi. Again, if you want to read Acts 16 later, you'll, you'll read the story behind it. It's, it's a real good adventure. There was, a, there was an exorcism. There was a near riot. There was a prison breakout. And it ends with the authorities begging Paul and his friends to leave the place. They said, please just go. You're bringing too much trouble with you. And, and in their wake... They leave behind a community of people, a community of Christians, centered around a cloth dealer called Lydia and her household, it seems. We know as well that this church had been really generous in their giving. Paul writes um, at one point uh, to another church, he writes that out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So Paul writes to them with great affection, familiarity, and friendship. Again, it's a really friendly letter. Um, he doesn't affirm his credentials at the beginning. He doesn't pull rank. He doesn't have to remind them, as he does in some of his letters, that he's an apostle sent by God and he has authority. Um, he doesn't bring in Philippians any obvious or direct rebuke to the people reading. There's plenty for them to get their teeth into, as we shall see in the next few weeks. But the tone is really gentle and joyful. And he tells them how much they warm his heart. They, they, he tells them what an encouragement they are. And every time he thinks of them, it makes him feel happy. Wouldn't you love to receive a letter like that? Well, if you're a Christian, you have. You can hear this for you. The grace and peace that, P, uh, that Paul sends them at the beginning of the letter aren't strictly his. It says they're from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. So as you read this letter over the next few weeks, you're not only eavesdropping on a conversation between Paul and some Christians in Philippi, you're hearing directly from the Lord Jesus. He uses this letter to call us, to speak to us, to encourage us. So can I encourage you, make this letter yours over the next few weeks. Perhaps print it out. It wouldn't take more than a few pages of A4. Maybe you could change verse 2 to God's holy people in Jesus Christ in South Croydon. You can fold it up. You can put it in an envelope. You can open it with your post in the morning. Uh, you can put it under your bed, um, under your pillow. Post a copy to a friend. Mark it, underline it, read it to and with others. Whatever you can do to bring this letter home over the next few weeks, I really suggest make this more than just something historical. Make this something where God is speaking uh, to you. And the first chunk of this great letter, as we shall see tonight, 
is a prayer. And it's a prayer in two parts. Verses 3 to 8 is a prayer of thanksgiving. And verses uh, 9 to 11 is a prayer where he's asking for things for um, the Philippians. Um, Letters like this usually had a formal greeting and elaborate thanksgiving at the beginning. So you'd, you'd, you'd open this, a letter, for, a friendly letter in those days, you'd open it and there would be ream after ream after ream after page after page of lavish thanksgivings for you and praise. You know, they buttered each other up like nothing else in, the, in their letters those days. But Paul subverts that because he turns that thanks for the Philippians into a prayer. He doesn't thank them directly, but he thanks God. We see that in verse 3 onwards. He says, I always pray with joy, literally with joy the prayer making when I think of you. And the reason he thinks of them with joy, it goes on in verse 3, because of your partnership in the gospel. So the bond that he has with the Philippians is born out of Jesus' life death and resurrection. The, the affection he has towards them comes through and from Jesus. Christian relationships are always triangular. Christ loves the Philippian church through Paul. Christ loves Paul through the Philippian church. So to Paul, they are beautiful because Jesus is beautiful. There's no such thing as an idealized, abstract Christian community It's a very painful realization. There is no such thing as a perfect Christian community. But it's those people that he is writing to in whom Paul sees the face of Christ. Um, uh, Bonhoeffer, German theologian, he wrote this. He says, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it's a brief single encounter, as I'm having this evening, or or whether it's the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul can say, if we skip to verse 8, I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. But this partnership of the gospel... Um, has also led to some great challenges and hardship for the Philippian church. Paul is writing as someone who's in prison at that point, and he knows what it is to suffer for Jesus' sake, as do the people that he's writing to. And we know there's been a degree of persecution in Philippi. We don't know the details. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes of it as a severe trial But bear in mind, this was a city where people greeted one another with the words, Caesar is Lord. So to insist, however humbly and gently, that Jesus is Lord will get you into all sorts of difficulty. Maybe uh, we we come across similar pressures today. If If you witness in word and deed, again, however gently, however lovingly, that Jesus Christ is the only person who can rescue you, the only person who can satisfy you, the only safe person to take the strain of the weight of your life upon. At best, people may be indifferent or think you're being a bit old-fashioned or naive, but at worst it becomes narrow-minded, hateful. 
that Paul knows their struggle. He knows the pressures that are under, and the fact that he is with them in Christ gives him great joy. So he is, he is languishing in prison. He does not know how much longer it's going to be before the axe comes down on his neck. But it gives him joy to know that the Philippian church is standing with him in that. What an encouragement to us this new year as we, as we go about wherever we can, however modestly, preaching Christ. You know, let's let the Lord decide what success looks like. Because it's the same Christ being preached. And as you do, however people listen or not, whether your conversations with your friends end up having really exciting, lengthy discussions into the night about Christ, or whether they're just not interested, however frustrating or mundane it might feel to do that, you are standing alongside the evangelists who are filling stadiums on mission tours, and you're also standing alongside Christians hiding in basements and cellars for fear of their lives. It's the same Jesus. It's the same gospel that you're preaching. So Paul is really thankful for the church at Philippi. And we're going to see now from verse 9, there's a shift. Because rather than a prayer of thanks, it shifts now from verse 9 to a prayer directly for them. He's asking God for something for them. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's a wonderful sentence, isn't it? Um, I wish I could write a sentence as good as that. Um, but it starts with this image of abounding love. Um, it's an overflowing word. It's sort of swelling, growing, going beyond what is ordinary or expected. Um, I wonder, sort of an example might be if you go into a concert hall and you hear, can hear an orchestra hit a really loud note that just fills the room up. That is what abounding means. You know, and, and the image there is that that's what he said, I want you to love one another like that. And I really need this because I'm grumpy and I'm bitter and I try to keep people at arm's length. But when I pause, when I sing some of the songs we've just been singing a few moments ago and I try to take in the depth of Christ's love for me, just how deep he was willing to go to win me back, just how relentlessly and faithfully he pursues me, um, it melts that away. It puts that in perspective. It makes me realize how, um, how silly and foolish I am to do anything other but love others. That Christ, the love of Christ is what brings me towards others. And so as the love of Jesus spills out into our lives together, it has the effect in Christian community of bringing us nearer towards one another. This image of moving towards each other the call of Christ in our lives that we become less strangers each time we meet as church because we know each other better and just a small application point uh, that you can put into practice this very evening um, let's think about the way that we talk to each other um, after and before worship at church whether having refreshments or, um, or chatting outside um, I wonder how you use small talk you know the weather, how was your weekend, did you see the football? Do you use small talk as a way to keep people away from you? Or do you use it as a way to get closer to them and to get to know them? Because small talk can say, back off. 
I'll talk about the weather with you, but I'm not going any further. And small talk can also say, I want to know you. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to love you better as a brother or sister in Christ. And then we see the love that he prays for them is abounding, but it's abounding in something. I wonder how you'd finish that sentence. You want a love that abounds in passion, affection. That's not how the sentence finishes. Is I want your I want your love to abound in knowledge. This is another place where Christianity bashes up against our cultural ideals. Isn't love about the heart? Isn't it about um, just unconditional acceptance? That's our cultural idea of love. It's unquestionable acceptance of every decision that we make. But our hearts need more than that. We need a love that comes out of the knowledge and love of God, a love that lives within the good boundaries that God has set for us, a love that lets the good things run wild. That's something that we can grow in. It can be an act of worship. We press on and we press into it. We can never know enough about God. We can never know our Bibles too well. You know, if we want a personal relationship with a personal God in a personal community of Christ, then it begins by knowing him and trusting him. And of course, we are all of us wearing L-plates in this, the beautiful things that we always will be. We'll never know it all. You know, and God forbid we ever get to a point where we think we know enough about the Bible. But then Paul's next part of the sentence uh, shifts us in a little bit because he, he shows us it's not just a case of collecting facts about God to love one another. So we see the next part of the phrase, that your, knowledge may, your love may abound in knowledge, and he says, depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. So wisdom knows that Christian community isn't always simple. And it isn't solely a case of knowing enough. There are different judgment calls to make, aren't there, in relationships and friendships. If you've any kind of caring relationship at all with another person, whether it's formal, whether it's informal, whether it's recognized, you're just being a friend, you're parenting, you're being a brother or a sister in Christian fellowship, if you're being a pastor, then you will know that there are countless times where you're not sure of the right way in and what the best and loving and most wise way to proceed is. With any person that you meet, there are multiple things going on, aren't there? Multiple places that you could start, all sorts of complementary truths, all sorts of ways that the real person that you're talking to connects with the God of all truth and life, and it's not always obvious. You know, Jesus is a master at this. In every conversation, there are several strands he might pick up. He's making decisions all the time, just discerning, seeing into people. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, the rich young ruler, Jesus looked at him and loved him. In that moment, Jesus knows that just simply saying to this guy, trust me, isn't going to get to the heart of where he is. Jesus had to select from knowing this guy where the place to start was. Uh, sometimes Jesus is really direct, he's really blunt, he just calls things as they are, he causes great offense. Um, other times he is exceedingly gentle. 
or he tells a story that shows, that, that shows a situation in an entirely different light. You know, the woman at the well, he doesn't mention her sexual immorality, but he does tell the woman caught in adultery to go and sin no more. So loving community needs that kind of conversational wisdom that comes from depth of insight, that comes from knowing about God, and comes from being able to lovingly select where you're going to start your conversations with people. I've done that badly so many times. You know, I've had so many conversations where I took the risk of bringing up something difficult and it backfired, it didn't help that person. I've had many, many more conversations where I decided not to bring up something hard and later on I wish I had. But I'm growing in it and it's something that you can expect to grow in as well. To discern what is good. That's Paul's uh, desire for his church. That's Jesus' desire for us as Christians. That's Jesus' desire for you as a church. To discern what is good and to discern with greater depth what loving Jesus and loving each other really, truly looks like. What a fantastic prayer. You notice there's no contentment here. uh, There's no smug self-satisfaction allows, but Paul has a desire for excellence in love. That's the prayer that Paul prays for them. He could pray to change their circumstances. He could pray that the people persecuting them would lay off. But he chooses, the one thing he chooses to pray for them is that they would grow and abound in a wise, godly love something that we need today it's something we need tomorrow and paul ties this beautifully into a long view it's not just something for today and for tomorrow there is a day of christ coming we see that in verse six being confident of this paul writes that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus and then in verse 10 he says that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of christ So this community is grounded in who Jesus is, what he has done, what he does today, but it's also grounded in what Jesus will one day do. One day Jesus will return and everything that's in the dark will be brought to the light. A new heaven, uh, Peter writes, and a new earth, the home of righteousness. But Paul isn't using this as a veiled threat. He's not saying to them, well, you must show some more signs of compelling love or you're going to have a nasty surprise and there'll be some explaining to do. He says something so much more compelling than that. He tells them that in Christ they are moving towards, as a church, that day when the fruit of their lives will be entirely righteous. What a thought. Jesus is turning you into someone who cannot act with anything other than love and wisdom. One day you'll be a creature of such wisdom and beauty and love that were you to walk in now, the rest of us would be sorely tempted to bow down and worship you. One day you'll be pure and blameless forever. You will never know guilt or foolishness ever again. That is what is coming, and that is the light that Paul wants us to live in. And that's my prayer for you, for us, for me, as we begin this new year, this new season of church life, that our love would abound, that it would grow in knowledge and depth of insight, that we truly would be a community where Jesus' life uh, comes to us through and in and with one another. Let me uh, pray 
uh, for us now. Our Father, it is um, our desire, and it's your desire as well, it is your promise, that you will fill our hearts to overflow with the love of Christ. We thank you, God, for the gift of Christian community. We pray, Lord, that we would never be beholden to some kind of idealized fantasy church, an idol of our own making. We pray that our love might abound in these very postcodes with the brothers and sisters that we are sitting next to and around us today. We pray that it abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That we may be able to discern and know what is best. Help us to love one another skillfully and intelligently. We pray, Lord, that we might grow even today to purity and righteousness in your son Jesus we pray this because you can do it and we pray this because you will do it and we ask that in his precious name Amen Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast for more information about our church and everything we have going on visit our website emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.